This one comes to us from Debbie. She writes, since the refrigeration doesn't kill the virus, how hot should food be heated in order to kill it? Keep in mind what the cooking process does. When you're cooking food, you're denaturing proteins. They will gradually become more edible. And as that's happening, you're also destroying the proteins in the, in the virus. So cooking temperatures are, are going to kill it. Well, hello there. And welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. Does your body need more protein if you become infected with the coronavirus? And if it does... What are the best sources? Great questions, and just a couple of them that are coming up when we open the doctor's mailbag with Dr. Neil Barnard and Jasmo Sardana in just a little bit. Lots to dive into today because you guys sent in so many awesome questions. Now, check this out. We are also going to find out whether and at what temperature a virus will die in heat, and if direct sunlight can kill COVID-19. And should we be washing conventional produce a little bit harder than the organic variety at the moment? And can there be dueling viruses in the body? All good questions. And I was so, so proud of one particular question that came from a listener named Shane. Now, Shane wrote in after surviving a heart attack back in December and then switching to a plant-based diet. Shane's weight now down about 40 pounds and the blood work is looking great. So what does that mean for Shane's risk of COVID-19? Well, the doctors are going to weigh in on that. And plus, you and I, we are also going to be taking a trip over to China to check in with Dr. Jia Zhu. Now, he has been in Beijing throughout this entire coronavirus pandemic. So we will be checking in with him to see how things are progressing there. You know, the world is really watching China with keen interest as it attempts to return to normal. So what can we learn from China as that country begins to reopen? Is it a glimpse into our own future? And could it also establish a timeline for when we might see things safely begin to rebound back at home? Well, we are going to find out and get a first-hand account of the status of live animal markets over there. And these are the same wet markets where authorities believe the coronavirus outbreak began. So are they still shut down? And are people shutting down their interest in them as well? But before we get an update from China, let's get you some answers as we welcome in Drs. Barnard and Sardana to the exam room and open up the doctor's mailbag. Batting leadoff is Maria. She posted this one on Facebook. I think that this is a really good question, too. Dr. Barnard, this one is coming your way. Okay. Maria writes, can you comment on the need for protein if you are infected? Do you need more of it to build new immune cells? And what would be the best source if you can't eat chicken soup? 
<laughs> okay. Um, uh, I, I think that the, the easy answer is really no. Um, so obviously when anybody is healing from anything, protein needs are, are increased um, to an extremely modest degree. Um, let's say tissues of the body have been destroyed uh, to, to a, a degree. In something like COVID-19, we're not talking about huge amounts of tissue being lost. Um, a, a different scenario would be, say, burns, where a person has had massive burns to, to parts of their body and, and tissue is being rebuilt and you're losing a lot of fluid. In cases like that, protein uh, intake is increased. In COVID-19, I would be very surprised. Uh, I'd love to know if Dr. Sardana has a different opinion on that, but my feeling is you're going to be getting adequate protein from the beans and vegetables uh, and grains that you're eating anyway. And for something like COVID-19, I'd be very surprised if there was a need for additional protein. Does that sound right, Jasmal? No, that sounds exactly right. Okay. All right, Dr. Chaz, welcome to the show. Let's go ahead and kick this one your way. This one comes to us from Lai on Facebook, right? Saying, can direct sunlight and high heat kill the virus? What do we know? Um, yeah, good question. So sunlight is great. Uh, getting outside and getting fresh air, uh, getting sunlight is wonderful. But specifically, can sunlight um, and high heat kill the virus? So from what I understand, sunlight has UV rays. Um, and UV is, um, can be helpful, can be harmful. Uh, UV, there are different types of UV rays. So there's UVA, um, which is what we mostly are blocking when we, um, you know, wear our sunglasses. That's 95% of the UV radiation that comes out of the sunlight. Uh, there's UVB. That's about 5% that emanates from sunlight. UVB is what is responsible for skin cancers um, and wrinkles and aging that we see. There's also another um, type of UV ray called UVC. And there have been studies looking at and um, utilizing UVC to inactivate the virus. So what I've seen are uh, different hospital systems and organizations uh, harnessing the power of UVC to decontaminate, to inactivate the virus on, for example, N95 masks. Now, the, you, you know, that sounds promising. And so certainly we want to know, could we harness that by just simply going outside? And what we know is that while UVA and UVB rays um, come through the ozone layer, very minimal, if any, UVC rays get past our ozone layer. So we're not going to get that. And um, I think there's danger in trying to go outside for a prolonged period of time and exposing yourself to sunlight or UV rays with the hopes that somehow the coronavirus might um, be inactivated that way. So while I think it's great to have, you know, get outside, get sunlight, um, be careful. Don't be outside for a prolonged period of time exposing yourself to high heat with this hope. The, the answer is that UVC lights that they are using currently or attempting to use to inactivate the virus is not something that we readily get just from being outdoors. And uh, there could be harm in being outside for prolonged periods of time. So, All right, Dr. Chas, real quick, going to stick with you for this one. Uh, what temperature of heat destroys COVID-19? Um, that's a great question. I know that in you know, the temperatures that we use, for example, to utilize uh, for cooking, uh, regular cooking methods, boiling, et cetera, uh, steaming, et cetera, kills the virus. And what I, from my reading, I think it was around 133 degrees Fahrenheit, specifically that the virus is inactivated. 
All right, Dr. Barnard, this kind of piggybacks on the question you fielded recently on the show. This one comes to us from Debbie. She writes, since the refrigeration doesn't kill the virus, how hot should food be heated in order to kill it? Is it that 133 degree mark? Do you know? Um, I think exactly what Dr. Sardana says right, um, is, is that the, the, keep in mind what the cooking process does. Um, <clears throat> when you're cooking food, you're denaturing proteins. Um, and they, so uh, they will gradually become more edible. And as that's happening, you're, denat- you're also destroying the proteins in the, in the virus. So cooking temperatures are, are going are gonna to kill it. Sticking with you, Dr. Barnard, this one comes to us from Susie. She writes, is it possible to have two viruses in your body at the same time? Yes, you ha- and you have far more than that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you were hoping that herpes would prevent coronavirus, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see here. This one comes to us from Sharon. Dr. Sardana, do you know the answer to this one? Is anyone collecting data on how plant-based diets fare during the pandemic compared to people who eat the standard American diet? I know maybe we touched on that briefly. Have we done a real deep dive? Do we know if anything is trending in that direction? You know, I think that would be exciting data to look at um, at some point. Right now, I don't know of any studies um, that are collecting that data, but hopefully. All right. Dr. Barnard, this is kind of a, a big one. So maybe you guys can tag team on this one. This one comes to us from Christopher. He writes, what do you predict or see as far as how our culture will change because of the pandemic? Um. Uh, obviously, most of the changes are, are highly negative. Um, the, the, the worst is that there's been just dramatic mortality, um, and people who don't die can have persistent lung disease. So those are the, the, wor- the worst things. Um, culturally, obviously, you know, the, the economic issues are something that are beyond uh, our medical expertise, but everyone's aware of them. Um, I think, though, that if, if there's any positive part, um, we've certainly seen people rethinking their diets to, to a great degree. Um, meat consumption is going to be, it has already been affected dramatically, as we talked about yesterday, um, with chicken production going down, pork production going down, and we're seeing that kind of across the board. Um, my hope is that this is not described as a meat shortage um, that has to be uh, rectified in some way. My hope is that people will view this as a chance for people to try out healthier foods. If we were to do that, we would be able to do two things. Number one, future infectious diseases would become less frequent because animal markets and animal farms are breeding grounds uh, for infectious organisms. Uh, The second thing, though, is that um, to the extent that people avoid animal products, they become healthier in so many ways. There's less obesity, less hypertension, less diabetes, and these are all underlying conditions that make infections worse. So um, if there's anything positive, hopefully it's while people are at home, they're learning to eat somewhat healthier foods. Dr. Sartana, can you piggyback on that? 100%. I think the um, highlight that this pandemic has placed on things like wet markets that maybe the general public wasn't aware of and kind of uncovered that, the the grittiness um, of that, I think is so important. And if that has a ripple effect on um, individuals consuming less or no longer meat and becoming healthier for it, that's wonderful. The other shift that I hope and I think I start to see within our culture not related to food is that I think we're really starting to appreciate a lot of the workers that we probably took for granted. Um, You know, the grocery store clerks, 
the janitors at our hospitals that are that are so vital and are so key in making sure that our daily lives run as we expect them to um, that I think has been a major shift and 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 specifically all of our frontline um, healthcare workers and all the amazing work that they do. All right, Dr. Jazz, sticking with you. This one comes to us from Gretchen. I'm throwing this one your way because on your Instagram, I know that you are one heck of a chef. Uh, Gretchen writes in, does washing veggies with vinegar kill COVID-19? Do you know what the effect of vinegar is on viruses? Oh, interesting. Interesting question. I don't know the effect of vinegar on, um, on coronavirus, but certainly washing your produce, washing your fruits. Um, if you're using a little bit of diluted vinegar, um, is probably fine. Um, but specifically the effect of that on coronavirus, I'm not sure of, but yes, wash your fruits and wash your vegetables. All right, Dr. Barnard, this one comes to us from Julie, obviously was listening to you earlier on the show. She writes, my mom has been on a plant-based diet for a year, but her blood pressure hasn't improved yet. Why do you think that is? Okay. Um, if her blood pressure hasn't, she's been plant-based, no animal products, blood pressure still high? Yes, sir. Okay. A um, couple things. First of all, you've, made, you've done a great thing by getting away from animal products. That is super. For many people, their blood pressure drops. And the reason for that is that the blood becomes less thick, less viscous um, when you get away from animal products and the, the, the fat that they contain. So if the blood is less thick, less viscous, less like grease, more like water, it flows more easily and so the blood pressure can come down. Then a more longstanding reason is that as you lose weight, your blood pressure comes down too. Um, but there's a third thing um, to all this, and that's that you're exchanging sodium, which raises blood pressure and is, is commonly seen, particularly in cheese, other dairy products, um, and some other foods too. But you're, you're taking all that out, and you're going to high potassium foods, vegetables. So if your vegan diet is still having a lot of sodium because it's being added, either at the table or in cooking or even in just commercial products, that'll keep your blood pressure up. And if, if your uh, diet is more grains and beans and not too much in the way of vegetables and fruits, you may not be getting quite enough potassium. So my thought, my suggestion, in addition to sticking with your doctor and monitoring your, your blood pressure, um, getting away from animal products completely is great. Keeping oils really low is great because that helps facilitate the weight loss, which is good. And making sure to really pump up the vegetables and the fruits, getting away from high sodium foods. Uh, lastly, lace up your sneakers. There's nothing like uh, some aerobic exercise to help your blood pressure come down gradually. That said, there are some people who are going to do all that and their blood pressure is still going to be higher than they want it to be. And if that's the case, make sure that you're continuing to talk with your caregiver um, about the um, other steps that may include medication. Hopefully not, but in some cases, they are necessary and, uh, and play an important role. From Iam, he writes, has anyone tracked COVID mortality rate and smoking? Do we know how many have died from it uh, who are current or former smokers? Okay, so, uh, keep in mind what smoking does. Smoking goes down your trachea, into to the bronchi, into the lungs. Um, COVID-19 is a respiratory virus. And yes, what you're hinting at is exactly what researchers have found, is that people with lung diseases like asthma are at higher risk and smokers specifically are at higher risk. Not just, uh, not just of a bad uh, course if they contract COVID, but that's true for other, other viruses too. Uh, smokers are a setup for getting the common cold. They're a setup for influenza A, um, and COVID is not going to be um, uh, an exception to that. That said, 
let's say that you quit smoking. Let, let's say you were a smoker and you quit smoking today. Minute by minute, day by day, the lungs actually do clean out. Now, it takes years for your cancer risk to go back down to what it would have been had you never smoked. That takes a long time, more than a decade. However, the lung tissue themselves, the the ability of of the lungs to get rid of mucus and so forth, that all improves within days to weeks. Um, And within six weeks, your respiratory function is going to be dramatically better than it is now. So now is a great time to quit. Uh, And let me throw vaping into that as well. Uh, One in seven American adolescents vapes. Uh, Good time to hang that habit up. Uh, Well, let me follow up with a question of my own, Dr. Barnard. So say somebody was a two pack a day smoker for two decades. Is it possible at any point after 10 years or longer for their lungs to revert to as if they had never smoked at all? Or is there still going to be some damage left over? Um, Yes, it is possible. It, It depends. It depends on what's happened in the lung itself. Um, it, it is completely possible. The risk of lung cancer persists for a long time. There have been people who, were, who quit smoking 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago, and they get lung cancer now. That can happen. However, the lung tissue itself has a remarkable ability to rejuvenate. That said, um, the little tiny pockets, the alveoli in the lungs where the oxygen is exchanged for carbon dioxide, they're fragile. And if they have been damaged, it's, if they've been destroyed, as they are in career smokers, that's not going to get better. Um, hopefully that hasn't happened to you yet, um, but it, or, or not to you, but to whoever is, is asking about this question. Um, so, but, but the point is, if, if the air pockets have not been destroyed, then yeah, the lung tissue can, can uh, bounce back to a remarkable degree. This next question comes to us from Juanita on Facebook. She writes in that she gets a lot of sinus infections typically and Mm -hmm. recently also had a root canal that became infected. Am I more susceptible to COVID-19, she writes? Oh, interesting question. Um, Not that I'm aware of, um, you know, having, you know, um, an underlying infection. Not that I, I don't know that having an underlying infection puts you at greater risk of having coronavirus. But why are you having, my question is when I hear that is why are you getting so many frequent sinus infections? Is there something else happening within your immune system that is um, putting you at risk of developing these infections? So not this, the sinus, the sinus infection and the root canal on its own. I don't know that there's data to show that you're more at risk of getting coronavirus, but I would be more interested in, re- in understanding why you're getting those frequent in- infections to begin with. Um, so things to do, obviously, is if you're not already, is to consume a whole food plant-based diet because you're going to get that wide, amazing range, range of, um, of um, phytochemicals and amazing macronutrients and micronutrients that are so beneficial for your immune system. So that would be my answer for her. All right. Next question comes to us from Barry. He sent this one in via email. He writes, I've been uh, whole food plant-based for two years now with excellent results. That's awesome, Barry. Congrats. Uh, He said, I've started to check my body temperature every day because of the coronavirus and notice that it's running on the low side. Do people who eat this way normally have a low body temperature? No, no, they don't. Um, No, there uh, (laughs) hasn't been any data to show uh, that 
those who are, if we're whole food plant-based, that we have um, a lower body temperature. No, I would probably suggest checking with a different thermometer, uh, making sure that, that it's, act it's actually accurate. Fair enough. I can, I can tell you from my own experience that mine tends to run on the low side, somewhere in the ballpark of between 97.5 and 97.1. And that okay. is, yes, double checking with two thermometers because I was like, wait, what? What? wait a minute, is, is <laughs> right. this really happening right now? But right. it's been consistent uh, since I started eating this way. So who knows? So a good point, though, with that is I do get that question from patients and, they, and they'll say, you know, I, this is, I run low, that my temperature usually runs this low. So it, a fever for me actually means this. And what's really important to note is that while there, there's a difference between a subjective fever, when you feel warm, when you're feeling like you have a fever and have and an objective fever, an objective fever is a thermometer reading, whether you normally run low or not is a thermometer reading of 100.4, two readings of 100.4, at least an hour apart, or one reading of 101 degrees in, in Fahrenheit. All right. Uh, this one. Um, definition of a fever is. Next question comes to us from Catherine, who writes in, I have less access to organic produce right now. Should conventional fruits and veggies be washed any differently than organic ones? Um. I would wash them more, um, you know, much more rigor rigorously and pay attention to um, washing my fruits and vegetables. There's some, you know, when I have my organic um, fruits or vegetables, I might do a slight rinse. I might let them soak for a little bit. But if you're limited to conventional fruits, you may want to add a mild detergent. You may want to add salt in water and use that to help and then thoroughly rinse away the salt to help. Um, remove some of the residue that might be stuck on that conventional, but just to be a lot more uh, careful with it and to wash it very thoroughly if you're using conventional foods. Interesting question comes from George here. Does microwaving denature the virus? Can we microwave mail? So the question was, can microwaving foods um, denature the protein, uh, denature coronavirus? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I do know that with heat, as we talked about, if you get to 133 degrees Fahrenheit, you're probably fine. Um, and if your microwave gets to that temperature, you should be fine. All right. Fair enough. And the final question comes to us from Robin. This is one maybe you can uh, put on from your experiencing patients at the Barnard Medical Center. She writes in, I have been whole food plant-based for six years and been on ulcerative colitis meds for years and recently began experiencing symptoms. I'm already eating lots of greens. What else would you recommend to reduce bowel inflammation symptoms? Yeah, that's, that's a really tough one, especially, and I can imagine um, the frustration of being on a whole food plant-based diet for as long as you have been. You know, at that point, I would say that that's probably a little bit out of my league here, that that would be a question for your gastroenterologist. Um, at, you know, a whole food plant-based diet is wonderful for controlling and limiting inflammation, but there are flares that can happen that diet alone is not going to be enough to control. And in that case, a medication might be needed. Um, and that discussion needs to happen with your gastroenterologist. Uh, you know what? Our producer, Laura, just sent me one more question, and it's too awesome not to ask. I'm so proud of this guy. Shane writes in, I had a heart attack in December, then went plant-based. My blood work looks great, and I've lost 40 pounds. Wow. Could, I know. How cool is that? Does this affect my risk of COVID, he writes? So, yes, in a good way. 
the fact that you've lost weight, the la- the fact that you've gone whole food plant based and have uh, now likely reduced your risk of having comorbidities puts you in a better category. Um, should you potentially? Um, so the question I want to be clear is: catching the virus is very different from from um, suffering consequences of it. So to prevent the coronavirus, you still have to do those things that we talked about, you know, uh, social distancing, hand washing, covering your cough, wiping down your surfaces. But if for any unfortunate reason you do encounter the, the virus, given the fact that you've made this change and you've been able to reduce the risks, you will fare better. those questions coming in over on the live show on the physicians committee's facebook page every weekday at noon eastern we will be choosing one of them to answer and then of course we have these big q a's every week as well all of this part of the exam room live over on facebook so we are doing our best to help you get through this coronavirus outbreak with as much knowledge and know-how as possible but If you'd like to go one-on-one with your questions instead, no problem, because the plant-based nutritionists and doctors over at the Barnard Medical Center, they are here for you, because they know how important nutrition is when it comes to your health. So the Barnard Medical Center now accepting new patients for telehealth visits. That's right. You can have your own appointment right from the comfort of your couch. And Dr. Jazz, she would love to see you. So would Maggie Neola and her dietitian colleagues, Lee Crosby and Susan Levin. All of them are here to help. So if you live in Washington, D.C., in Maryland, Virginia, Missouri, Massachusetts, and even hard-hit states such as California and New York, You can schedule an appointment right now by visiting barnardmedical.org or by calling 202-527-7500. That's barnardmedical.org or 202-527-7500. Schedule your appointment now and get on your path to wellness. Let's turn our attention now to China. It's been about four months since the coronavirus first surfaced there in the city of Wuhan. And since that time, it really has become ground zero for the fight against COVID-19. And because the virus hit there first, many are looking there as a sign of what might be to come where it is that they live. So let's go there right now and check in with our own Dr. Jia Zhu and see things, how they're progressing there. Are the meat markets where the virus likely began, are they still in fashion? Or are people ditching meat and turning to a plant-based diet? And what about just regular life? We're talking about work and how are restaurants and public transportation faring as things begin to gradually reopen? Well, let's find out right now as we head to Beijing and check in with Dr. Jia Zhu. Continuing now on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. So very excited now to be joined via Skype all the way from Beijing, Dr. Jia Zhu. Jia, welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you, Chuck. 
Um, it's very happy to be here. I'm very glad that you are here as well. Uh, let's start with this. How are you doing over there? What's what's the latest since we last spoke a few weeks ago? Uh, I'm I'm mostly staying indoors. Uh, do, uh, I'm doing uh, like some lectures over the uh, internet uh, to people over here, and the uh, things are slowly getting to back to normal. Uh, although the schools are still closed. And the uh, college entrance examination has been postponed for one month, except for those who are preparing for this exam. Um, all the students are still uh, doing remote learning and schooling. Um, besides that, um, let me give you some updates. Um, yeah, business are are re- reopening, uh, but uh, and also the uh, the doctors and nurses who have helped Wuhan and Hubei. Uh, are retur- have returned to their hometowns, and they have reported that uh, no one from the other part of the country who have uh, helped Wuhan have uh, infected have been inf- infected, probably uh, because of proper protection measures for these uh, doctors and nurses. And but one nurse died of the heart failure, uh, died of heart failure after re- return to her hometown. Not necessarily of, not necessarily of the COVID virus. Yeah, probably not the virus, but maybe some other uh, exhaustion or whatever other other reasons. Yeah, That's good. Uh, yeah but the, there's some uh, healthcare uh, health healthcare professionals uh, died uh, or in, uh, infected uh, in the local hospital uh, hospitals. That, but that's mostly before January for um, no January thirtieth when there's no not enough protective measures. We're hearing a lot here in the U.S. about there not being enough resources in the hospital to meet patient demand. We're starting to see what at least we're calling the flattening of the curve. The caseload there and the taxation of the medical system, has that really, it sounds like it's kind of tapered off now. And if somebody does need to go to the hospital, there will be a bed available for them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so right now, I think the numbers are going down, and they have enough uh, medical resources for everybody. Uh, well, not everybody, but for the new, uh, for any new newly discovered cases. Speaking of newly discovered, I know that there was at least one town in the northern part of China, probably along the border with Russia, that has been placed back in lockdown because of a surge in new cases. What have you heard about that? Oh yes, yes. That's just uh, in the last week. Uh, so I think uh, because uh, China have mostly uh, have very tight control of inbound flights. Uh, I think they have maybe one or, or two flights to and from one each major uh, international destinations. And so now people are trying to to move into the country from other uh, from land borders. So um, so that's what happens in this uh, city in the north uh, west of China. Uh, where a lot of uh, people coming in and uh, bringing up the, the the number of newly diagnosed cases, uh, so that city has been locked down, and uh, I think they are watching very closely to other uh, uh, other you know uh, border cities as well. Now you said that a lot of businesses are starting to reopen, restaurants and things like that, but people by and large are going back to work. Uh, have you noticed? I know that you're not necessarily commuting to an office, but have you noticed whether or not public transportation is beginning crowded, whether that be buses or trains, anything like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think right now they are 
very emphasizing the uh, aspect of social distancing. Uh, so zero, zero contact in during shopping, lining up, and in the bus. Every, everyone must have a seat, and so you don't you don't see that much of a crowd. Uh, you know, in the public transportations, uh, the driving is encouraged, and there's no toll for highways. So so they facing uh, so. So there's a lot of uh, traffic on the road, uh, and people are encouraged to do mobile pay so that they're to avoid you know any kind of uh, paper contact you know. Sure. And um, yeah, and there's another piece of information that Shanghai has announced new economic uh, guidance and policies to encourage online businesses. So that's uh, definitely one direction the country is heading to. Uh, speaking of online businesses, one of the businesses here that has not been negatively impacted by the pandemic is online grocery shopping. I mean, it has exploded to the point where really you're finding it hard to even get somebody to be able to deliver the groceries to you. The demand is so great. Are a lot of people shopping online for groceries in China as well? Oh yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, as here, the online shopping is very popular, and I see uh, you know deliveries every day. Uh, you know, outside the community gate, where you know the, uh, the 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 drivers deliver all the goods just out uh, just at the gate. So people from the community they are allowed to come out to to take uh, the uh, foods, whatever they uh, they, uh, they they bought online. So. Uh, the uh, deliver the the deliver people were not are not allowed to go into the community, but um, it's still very convenient for people to to shop online and just uh, get the groceries just uh, un, uh, just outside the the gate. If you look outside your window, kind of scene set this for me a little bit. Is everyone wearing a mask? Is that mandatory? Yes, pretty much. If you uh, if you are if you don't ma- wear mask, and uh, people will see you as strangers, and there will be people uh, remind you that you, you you're not wearing a mask. Gotcha. Um, and what are you noticing as far as um, these wet markets, these exotic animal markets, where the virus is believed to have originated? When we spoke last, we had heard reports of a few of them starting to reopen, unconfirmed, mind you. But have you seen or heard anything about that? Uh, I haven't hear, heard anything about reopening of any uh, live market, but uh, maybe there are um, such markets that are reopening. Uh, uh, but I, I believe that each local government are very uh, tightly controlling this. They 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 see they 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 know that it is it's a trouble maker for them. So I I think uh, if there are such cases, it will be very small and uh, be watched very very carefully. For sure. And I know that that's something uh, that a number of people here in the U.S., including lawmakers on Capitol Hill, have also been taking a a close look at. Um, What are you noticing as far as uh, maybe some things that you've seen as far as people posting online uh, about these markets or maybe even just eating less meat overall? Yes, yes. I have noticed that there's some uh, petition, online petitions and polls uh, going on uh, to basically uh, to uh, number one to ban forever all these uh, live markets and uh, and also there's some uh, uh, some petitions trying to. 
persuade the government to pass some laws to uh, either reduce or or ban the, the eating of, of of meat altogether. But I'm I'm not sure whether these will be uh, how how much attention these will receive. But I think it's a good uh, good trend that people are awakening. In in your opinion, uh, how how popular is this idea of closing these markets for good right now? Is this something that really just a small portion of the society is pushing for, or is this something that you think is really ready to be adopted on a broader scale? Uh, I think uh, I, I'm optimistic that it will uh, is going to uh, is going to be adopted. Uh, in a broader scale, uh, because I see people are discussing even, uh, you know, pet animals and and and, and all that uh, should be uh, protected, and they basically they are trying to uh, delineate uh, what kind of animals are food animals and what are not food animals, and so obviously uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the wild animals and also uh, wild animals are, are are not food animals. So I think that's a good uh, good separation there. But in terms of the uh, the, the life uh, life animals, uh, I haven't seen much except for the closing down of these markets. Let's talk about overall the popularity of the idea of eating a plant-based diet. When you and I last spoke a few weeks ago, you were saying, well, more and more people are kind of opening their eyes. You just said that, you know, seeing the light, so to speak, uh, about coming around to the idea of taking meat off of the plate altogether. Is that kind of growing in steam? Is that becoming a more popular notion over there? Is this something that you think that hey, you know, this is going to be more than just a short-term trend. We're actually going to see a lot more people ditch meat for good. Right. Uh, well, I, I'm sure that there, the percentage-wise, there's a, there's definitely a, a big increase uh, compared to before. So I, what I mean is that uh, there's acceleration of uh, uh, of the uh, the trend that people uh, are looking at this new, uh, how can I say, more safe or healthy lifestyle, but uh, the the absolute number is low in China compared even compared to U.S. Uh, China probably have one percent or, or one or two percent of uh, vegan or vegetarians. Uh, so I think uh, even because the number is low, uh, the percentage is low. So uh, even if there's a good increase, it's still uh, I I don't see it's not is enough. It's it's a, it's a main how mainstream thing yet. By and large, are people there making the connection that the coronavirus did, in fact, originate from one of these live markets, from an animal? Mm, I think uh, definitely people have such concerns. Gotcha. Okay, well, let's talk about you, my friend. What have you been up to? Uh, you, I know that you are still doing these these online lectures. How many are you doing? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, what well, depends on how many invitation I receive. Like, like uh, for the uh, for the past week, I didn't do as much. I maybe do one every two days, uh, but uh, but the week before, I did almost every day. And these these people are coming to you to speak, correct? You're not going out there and pitching yourself. They're actually coming to you. Yeah, I yeah yeah yeah. That's right. So basically, I I was. I was doing lecture tours before, so people uh, they they would uh, if, if if this was a normal this was a, a normal time they will they will invite me to their cities to 
they give lectures. And now uh, the travel is not is uh, travel and large uh, gatherings are not allowed. So, so but I, I mean the gatherings not allowed and travel is not convenient. So well, they started to invite me online. So and also I will basically display uh, a. Uh, a contact information for them to uh, you know to contact if they want to uh, to invite me so sure. that's that's how the goal gets uh, gets rolling the ball gets rolling yeah well here's what i take away from that you say that maybe one maybe two percent of everyone there is vegetarian or vegan right but you are still getting all of these invitations to speak and that does tell me that people are gravitating toward this idea it is trending in the right direction, just the sheer volume right. of requests you're getting. I mean, that has to give you a great sense of optimism, doesn't it? Uh, uh, yes, definitely. I'm I'm always optimistic, and I, I do see that people are, you know, they they well, the the issues that they probably uh, is still a a matter of uh, whether they they're able or they are they have the chance or they have the patience to uh, to uh, to to be able to sit in one of my lectures, if they are in, uh, so I, uh, the, if they are, I will be very, uh, how can I say, I'm confident that uh, there's a good chance that they will uh, consider changing their lifestyle. Well, I hope that you would consider coming back and joining us in another few weeks and giving us an update. It sounds like everything is trending in the right direction there, my friend. Oh, thank you so much, Chuck. Good luck. A promising report from Dr. Zhu. It sounds like things are definitely trending in the right direction there. So hopefully we won't be seeing any sort of widespread second outbreak now that more people are returning to the streets. Of course, only time will tell, but we will keep you updated right here on the exam room. I'll tell you this much. I found it extremely positive that people are beginning to connect the dots between animal agriculture and the possibility of these viral pandemics. Until recently, every time we spoke about meat on the show, the conversation really centered on cholesterol and fat and the risk of various diseases. But we really didn't talk at all about a scenario like this. And when you're talking about something that is making such an impact on a global level, well, maybe, just maybe, people are finally going to wake up and take notice. Let's lighten things up a little bit, shall we? We could all use a good smile, right? Because this story is too good not to share. This was in my headlines this week on the exam room live over on Facebook. I love this thing so much. Apparently, there's a big party happening out at Yosemite National Park, but it's not of the human variety. Park rangers there say that bears are having themselves a regular fiesta with the popular tourist attraction now closed to visitors. One worker still on site telling the Los Angeles Times that the bears, who usually only lurk in the shadows, they're now roaming around freely without any humans there. 
and many of them also frolicking and enjoying tree climbing parties as well. And bobcats and coyotes, well, they don't want to be left out on the fun either. They too are out and about and just having the time of their lives. So party on, my friends. Enjoy it. The space is yours. And while that party rages on at Yosemite, coming up next week on the show, gastroenterologist Dr. Will Bolsowitz. He will be joining us. He's the author of the new book, Fiber Fueled. So we are going to be learning how critical of a role your gut microbiome can play in terms of immune function and the body's ability to fight off viruses. Now, of course, there is no actual immunity to the coronavirus, but it does appear that a healthier person, the healthier they are, the healthier their gut microbiome is, the better their chances of only having mild symptoms or being asymptomatic if indeed they do get the coronavirus. So this conversation with Dr. Bolsowitz, it is going to be epic. The gut microbiome is just so fascinating. I mean, ridiculously fascinating to the point where there ought to be a law against it, right? That's how amazing it can be when you think about it. I never thought in a million years I'd be saying that gut bacteria is my jam. But yeah, it kind of is. And maybe it will be yours too after you hear this conversation. And actually... Something tells me that you might have a question about the microbiome. You can call it a gut feeling. We'd love to try to get you an answer for that too. So send in your question on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll WLC. You can find the Physicians Committee on Twitter at PCRM and over on IG at Physicians Committee, just spelled out. And when you send in your question, be sure to use the hashtag exam room podcast. Also, you can find us on Facebook and send us a message there. Please do, because we are definitely looking forward to hearing from you and we'll do our best to get you an answer. And before we wrap things up today, I also want to ask for your help, please, to get this information into the eyes and ears of people who need it the most. Because really, as we've said time and again, at the heart of this show, yes, it is a lot of fun, but at the heart of the show is our drive to make the world a healthier place. And one of the best ways you can help out is just by subscribing to the exam room podcast by the physicians committee on apple podcast or on spotify really wherever shows are available and when you do please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review because not only then will you begin to receive new episodes automatically but you will also be helping to get this information this life-changing life-saving information to those whose health may be in jeopardy, those who need it the most. And the more subscriptions and the more positive reviews we receive, the higher we climb in the podcast rankings. And the higher we climb, the easier it is then for people to find us and get all of this healthy information. And that's going to do it for us today. My thanks again to Drs. Neil Barnard, Jasmine Sardana, and of course, Jia Zhu for joining us all the way from China. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. 
thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe and keep it plant-based. <laughs>